You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Karen Sermon, Bick Nazar in for Scott Rintoul today. Bick, I appreciate you setting the arm nice uh, arm alarm nice and early today. Getting in here, I know it's uh, it can be a challenge. And it's not like we start early; we start at nine o'clock. But obviously, you want to get in. You want to do some prep in the morning, and we also well, want to meet each other. So there's that. Plus, I'm a night owl. Are uh, you? I, I'm usually doing the uh, the one to seven shift. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I, I stay up late, and, and this is a bit different for me. I am neither these days. <laughs> Sleep. I used to do the morning show a very long time ago, and four and a half, five years of being on the morning show with your alarm going off in the three o'clock hour mm-hmm. had made me, when I switched shifts to a more normal time starting at 10 o'clock, I was like, okay, like, I'm sleeping until nine, but I'm also going to probably go to bed at, like, 10 or 11 because I want like my full eight, nine sure. hours of sleep because for so long I was going on four or five, six hours of sleep. I look at my Fitbit in the morning when I woke up and I go, are you serious? I actually got three hours of sleep, but I was in bed for six of them. You know, so it's, I've learned now, even with my show starting at, or these shows starting at nine o'clock and I get up around five thirty six in the morning, like I could be in bed at like 8.30. Like, 8.30? Yeah. I'm watching, I'm watching TV. I'm watching TV, but like on a weeknight, <laughs> 8.30, 9 o'clock, I am so... I'm not exactly like the most fun person. You're still in morning show territory there, 8.30. Yeah. Wow. I like eight hours of sleep, not going to lie. Like, I, my doctor back in the day said, okay, you know, if you can get an average of six hours a night, and then, but not change that on the weekends, like consider continue that through. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, if you can actually consider consistently do six hours of sleep, plus also live a pretty healthy But like, why, why not extra on the weekends? Just she was just saying because then it screws you up from Monday, Tuesday, and it takes a while for your body to get back to that six hour of sleep. I, I just had routine. a glass shatter moment in my own the head. The doctor that's... told you more sleep was worse? If you're going to be able to have, to, if you have to do it where six hours is say you're consistent. Oh. She said, don't go longer on the weekends because you want to stay with that consistently. But I mean, like, I'm not getting up at six o'clock in the morning on the weekends. <laughs> I knew catching up on sleep wasn't a real thing, but yeah. I just thought the more, most sleep you could get, the best was kind of the best option. I, I'm definitely a not. six on the weekdays and 12 on the weekends. Well, I was trying to put a, a number that didn't make you guys like, oh, this guy's lazy as hell. <laughs> well, I, I will say on the weekends. Whatever number you guys think is right is what I sleep on the weekend. <laughs> All right. I will say I get up, I don't like to get up before 10 o'clock. On the weekends, I actually didn't follow these doctors' rules. I just like to get as much sleep as I can, so I guess that's the why EPL is going on. Actually, I do wake up early on the weekends. I got to watch Man United and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit of soccer coming up here momentarily. Uh, you and I mentioned off the top, and I had kind of teased it there, talking. So you and I have never met each other before mm-hmm. today in person. We spoke yesterday on the phone for the first time. We've texted a little bit since I joined the station. You got but Zoom meeting for the whole. And people might think that's weird because on six fifty, your show, Big and the Boss, follows. My mm-hmm. show, Rintoul and Sermon, but we did a show from the studio for the first week, Scott Rintoul and I, and since then, we have been at home. I was in studio this Friday for the first time in 18 weeks. I mean, again today, because we wanted to do the show yep. face-to-face. It seemed a little, okay, well, we're going to do the show and meet each other for the first time, but let's do it down the line in yeah. different locations. So we tried, disaster. You know, try to have... Find some chemistry in studio, but because you have been working from home, I have been working from home. There have been no staff get-togethers because we haven't allowed been allowed to have staff get-togethers. This is our first time meeting. Greg, how's the blind date going so far? Is okay? <laughs> Listeners, don't text in. I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's going pretty good. You guys, you've got a pretty good chemistry. You, okay. you found out a lot about. Greg each other. is the table at the restaurant. Like those people are on a first. Or yes. just the waiter, you know, coming to check in on you guys every <laughs> once in a while. I Talking see that it's to not the other super staff. awkward, you yeah. know. 
Is, going pretty good. is that why Carolyn came in a minute ago? She's yeah. like, how's it going? Well, She's yeah, like, I had to share the, the rumors <laughs> and stuff. Caroline's the friend that you're just like, okay, you're going to text me in about you know an hour in. How's it going? And be like the phone call. Do you need do you need an emergency right now? Do you need to get out of this right I'm now? I'm the guy in the corner live tweeting the whole thing. <laughs> say, oh, now he said this. That didn't go over well. Oh, she rolled her eyes at that yeah. one. Oh, no comeback for that he one. He said the Canada women's beating the Americans was bigger. It's over now. <laughs> Questionable <laughs> sports takes on the dude. <laughs> It's all fun. We're having fun. We're getting to know each other. And uh, you can join the show. 650, 650, Good or bad. doesn't really matter at this point. Just text the show in. Uh, we love it when you engage with us. Vic, you and I did learn, though. Okay, so... Just origin because, stories. Origin stories. Yep. So, for those that don't know, Vic and I actually started our careers both in northern Alberta and both in the same small northern Alberta town. We both worked in Grand Prairie, uh, Alberta, for our first gigs. We didn't cross paths per se. but No, we timelines didn't match up. But they matched up pretty closely, actually. I was there in 2007 for six months, October to April of 2008. So I would have arrived in August of 08. So exactly. So yeah. the one thing I like about that is, well, you went to another small town. You went to Chetland. Mm-hmm. I went to Edmonton right away because I couldn't do small town anymore. I went from Winnipeg to, I'm like, I want to get out of Winnipeg because it's too small. And I go to Grand Prairie, Alberta, Northern Alberta, very isolated Yeah. <laughs> to a point up there. I did enjoy my time. I love it. Great city. There. Um, a city that got a little too big a little too quickly when I was there because of the oil boom. Sure. And it was just exploding quite a bit. But it, it felt like a stretched out Coquitlam to me. And I felt it at home because I'm from Coquitlam, mm-hmm. born and raised. And I get there, I was like, well, this just looks like a stretched out version of Coquitlam. I love it. And it was, it's nice and cold, so it reminded me of Winnipeg, <laughs> you know, Winnipeg in the winters. And then I went to Edmonton, you went to Chetwin, and then did you come back right here? Uh, Squamish, Chilliwack here. So we, we both yeah. took like very, I went Grand Prairie, Edmonton, Victoria, here. So yeah, we both took very winding routes to end up. Uh, I've been in the business now 11, 12, 13 years. 13 years to wind up at 14, the exact same 14, spot. 2007. Come on, do the math. <laughs> I told you. Years. I told you Give earlier. Some credit. Math is math on a strong, but my best day is not very strong. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to finally meet you. It's good to be in the studio. Hopefully, come maybe September, it's back to kind of normalcy, and we get to be back in the studio because it is fun. I'm not necessarily like driving into work every day. I do appreciate just rolling out of bed and going to my dining room table, and there's my office. Not looking forward to the commute. No, I, I've been doing the last few shows in. Uh pajamas or like you know just just chilling out at home do you do the show in your pajamas heck yeah tmi <laughs> how is it tmi it'd be tmi no i'm not even saying <laughs> i do make a point of actually changing into like my lulus and a sweatshirt or a, or I, a t-shirt or something but that i would actually wear that into the studio so i, I have no shame whatsoever i'm just wearing my <laughs> seahawks pajamas let's go okay so as much as people like to know about their seahawks pajamas uh biggest story over the weekend no it was not the olympics coming to a close it was the fact that Lionel messi is actually leaving barcelona big when this news came down i think it came down on thursday that this was going to happen uh there was some skepticism uh by my co-host part Jamie Dodd at the time and I think there was a lot of skepticism out there like was this a power play by Barcelona and Messi being mm-hmm. like okay we have a deal in in place we have a contract that we've agreed upon a 50% pay cut um, you know from 600 million to 300 million whatever the case is but still he was willing to take a pay cut to stay with Barcelona it was the team that he had come up with he played his entire career with them been in the youth organization and so and so and it was kind of like well we have one in place a contract but it's because of you La Liga that we can't do it, and you're going to lose Lionel Messi because of you. So was it a power play? 
Well, we found out it's not. And whether it, the Liga, they're not going to change. They're mm-hmm. like, this is what the rules are. You guys have to abide for them. So Messi held a very tearful uh, press conference yesterday. A lot of uh, his teammates and family and friends were in attendance. But you're a bigger soccer international fan than I am. You follow the Premiership and you follow international soccer a bit more. So like, just if you can quantify for the listener what this means, him leaving. It's a... Uh... A stop you in your tracks moment, right? Like when, when those alerts started coming in on the phone, I, I stopped moving in my apartment. I was like, oh my God, I got to sit down right now. Like that's how massive this is. This is global icon. I know people equate it to, to Wayne Gretzky, who's also, you know, massive, you know, in, in his time, um, massive superstar. But this is like that extra echelon because soccer is a bit more far reaching than hockey. And this. It should stop people in their tracks of a player who, okay, not in his prime, but like the last little bit of his prime. He's not washed by any means. He's still very dominant. And to to not see him in the Barcelona colors moving forward is going to be shocking. It's going to be weird. And for it to come down to finances, not performance. Mm-hmm. For it to come down to rules, as you laid out. Which, by the way, like I kind of give La Liga credit. We can't sit here and say, oh, they need financial fair play. They need to make it all about a bit more about parity. You don't just want these conglomerates dominating the titles every season. And they dig their heels in and they say, no, like, these are the rules. You didn't abide by them. Barcelona has been poorly managed for a couple of years uh, financially. And then you throw in the the, the effect of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It makes things very challenging. But I, I'm still floored. I, I, I'm, I'm spitting out words here. But I'm still kind of speechless that, like, Leo Messi is not going to line up number 10 for Barcelona next season. It's It's stunning. So the the question begs then, why can Barcelona not keep him financially, but PSG, who has the likes of Kylian Mbappe and mm-hmm. Neymar, specifically, I think Neymar is their biggest under contract. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, player that they do have. Uh, Sergio Ramos is there as well. Like, they've got some big name players. So how can it be the fact that they can then go and sign someone, say, like a Lionel Messi? Well, I, I do have some confusion there, right? Okay. Like, I, I am a little, like... It's stunning that because it's not a unilateral cap, right? Yes. It's but I am still a bit stunned of how this is all going to work out for PSG. Clearly, they believe, and and maybe there's some ramifications down the road that they're willing to pay in the here and now. Mm-hmm. PSG is all about, hey, we need to win a, a Champions League as 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 soon as we can, and we got to by any means necessary. And maybe there's some you know financial ramifications down the road that they're okay dealing with and, and paying down the road. So from that element. Like I, I'm still unsure how it's gonna look. Of they just bring in Ramos, they just bring in John Luigi uh, Donnarumma as well. They've right. got uh, Mbappe, they got Neymar on, on a ridiculous wage. So yeah, I'm a bit surprised um, that it's able to pull it off. But I guess they believe that they can. And for for PSG, it, it's a big thing. Like they're gonna probably manage the minutes a lot mm-hmm. for Neymar and for Messi because everything is about them winning the Champions League. And Neymar's been seriously injured yeah. for the last few seasons. We've so, seen it. As far as their domestic league, I know they didn't win last year, but like they should win. And the French league, while improving, not a lot of people are tuning in. Their TV right. rights have fallen off and all this sort of stuff. It's not a must-see. This is all about Champions League for them. So it's all about the Champions League, and it begs the question, because I was thinking about this, Messi played his entire career in a Barcelona uniform, and we think of athletes now, it's very rare that you see a player 
play his entire career in, with one organization. Like, you think about the fact, you brought up Wayne Gretzky, and actually today is the anniversary. On this date back in 1988, the Edmonton Oilers sold Wayne Gretzky to the LA Kings. And you never thought we'd see the day where Gretzky would not be an Edmonton Oiler, but it did happen. And it was weird to see him in a King, the Kings uniform the first time. Maybe the weirdest jersey Wayne Gretzky ever wore was the St. Louis Blues for half a season. But it's weird t- that... When you look at uh, athletes and they're such iconic in one uniform, to see them go somewhere else, it's very just... Right. You almost like block it out of your brain. Like I've blocked out the fact that Michael Jordan played for the, the Wizards, the Washington Wizards. It's something that I don't remember. He went to a couple of All-Star games. He was really good for a couple of seasons, but I'm just like, no, he's a Chicago Bull for his career. Wayne Gretzky, I just mentioned. Jerome McGinley. Remember him when he went to play for the Penguins? Oh, yeah. Like, that was weird to see. I know he played for the Bruins and the Avalanche after that as well, but it was like, okay, you're seeing a guy who's been iconic in one uniform, and you're like, he is now in that? That just looks too odd. Ray Bork is an av. But that was... At least he won, he and, wanted and the, to, the memory right? of it kind of washes away the, the idea of all like lifetime brew and all that sort of stuff. But at the same point, fans were like, okay, it's okay to see him leave. It's not kind of this messy situation. It's not the Wayne Gretzky situation. And Jordan's is a little different as well. And I was thinking like Emmett Smith as a Cardinal. Yeah. Like this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen <laughs> is he is a Dallas Cowboy. And I'm picking a lot of, you know, the, the teams that I follow, but you Jerry don't. Jerry Rice is a Seahawk legend. Right? Like, this is just something you're, you just want to wash from your your memory. And it's just something we aren't going to see very often. Alexander Ovechkin is going to retire as a Washington Capital. Yeah. Okay? He's just signed that five-year deal. It's going to take him into his 40s. He's going after Wayne Gretzky's record. And I understand that he's one of the lasting few that we will see re- start and retire their career with the same organization. Sidney Crosby. Like, the expectation is he will. So I, four more years left on his deal. So he'll be, what, 38 but what about what about Evgeny Malkin? Well, th- here's the thing. He's always, ugh, I hate I hate using the word sidekick, but like, it's always been Crosby and Malkin. It's never been Malkin and Crosby, it's, right? It's always been like Batman and Robin. We don't say Pippin and Jordan. We say Jordan and Pippin. It's always been Malkin mm-hmm. and Crosby. So, I, yes, obviously there's that connection to the franchise, but to me, the the weirder one would be Crosby. Because you just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's just like you have he has to retire a Pittsburgh Penguin. Pippen played for other teams too, right? Like before Jordan did. It looked weird though. It, it did, but we got over it. <laughs> we did like, we because got over we it. understand he is a Chicago Bull yeah. though as well, and I mean all of his, all of his basically, um, his accolades are tied to being a Chicago Bull. But it will be really weird when Lionel Messi actually leaves Barcelona and suits up. I, I mean, actually, he is leaving Barcelona, but signs on the dotted line, puts a different uniform on. I think it's going to be completely bizarre to see. And obviously, he didn't want to leave Barcelona. And I know there was some weird stuff going on. I don't know all of the ins and outs, but if they had just signed him prior to his contract mm-hmm. actually running out, they wouldn't be in this situation. It has to do with re-signing a new player, a new player on your roster, all these kind of things. And there was a guest on the morning show, Halford and Bruff, that tried to, that did explain it very well. Um, but I just can't. Uh, a text message. So unnerving to see Nick Dowd in a Capitals jersey. <laughs> well, when you're playing, paying Jay Beagle what you were paying him and could have had Nick Dowd at $900,000, oh, I won't argue. Brady is a buck. Is Brady is... It was weird. Don't get me wrong. It was weird. But for some reason, that's not as weird to me as, like, Emmett Smith in a Cardinals uniform. I don't know why. I mean, you're a big NFL fan. Like, when you saw him the first time in a Bucks uniform, it, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. 
Maybe I just knew it was time to move on. I, yeah, I think because we had time to warm up to the breakup. And it's not as if the Patriots were, you know... It's not as if he went from winning a title straight to the Bucks or anything like that. It was... We kind of saw it crumble. And it, it just, like, logically made a lot of sense. Be like, oh, there's a lot of talent on Tampa Bay. It's starting to fall apart in New England. It looks like Tom's changing at the right time. It did. And it, it, because it was his decision, too, and it wasn't... Uh... It wasn't a tearful breakup either. It was like, no, I'm ready to get the heck out of here. Uh, that was from Brandon and Coquitlam. Matt Sundin in a Canucks jersey. I'll defer to you on that one, Vic. Yeah, um, I, I, I've got a weird, uh, weird association with that era. Just, just for like, the they did it for the right reasons. Overpaid, and there were some lasting effects of that. So it, it did look weird, but uh, I, I would say, I, I think for Toronto fans, it probably looked weird. I. You know, for, for NHL fans on a whole, did it look weird? Well, it, I mean, it's more of a Canada-Toronto thing, yeah. if anything. How about uh, Linden in the Islanders jersey? Yeah, that's a good one, too, for, for Canucks fans. There's a couple coming in here. One that we're going to see, uh, this one from the 960-960 inbox, Giordano in the Kraken. Like, that's going to be a bit odd. So, that's funny, because we haven't seen it on the ice, but you have seen it, because he yeah. was trotted out there at the expansion draft, and it was weird to see, and he even said, like, this is really weird for me to be in that. But that first date when Seattle is back in Calgary, I mean, he's going to get his due. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be emotional. It'll be an emotional thing. And I don't, you know, whether they honor him or what, you know, welcome back captain with a video tribute probably in the first commercial break. But it will be weird to see him wear another uniform because he's a lifelong Calgary Flames and he's the captain. And to be honest, you guys talked to him on Friday, like Alex Edler in in LA. That's going to be a little bit weird too. That'll be weird. And I asked him off the top of the show, off the top of the interview. I said, "Is it odd for me to introduce you as LA Kings defenseman Alex Edler?" And he said, "Yes, it is." And he says, "But he hasn't really thought about it too much because it's still the summer. He's mm-hmm. back home in Sweden." He did say, as soon as he comes back to North America, he's got to come to Vancouver first and pack out his home, yeah. and then head down to Los Angeles. He said that's when it's really going to hit them. But it's just we don't have the. It's it's hard in today's era because you look at the NHL and you think, okay, well, where's the loyalty to Alex Edler? But, I mean, should there be? Because he's towards the end of his career, and obviously, if you're going to connect the tea leaves, Alex Edler was offered a contract that was probably significantly less than what the LA Kings offered him. And whether he thought he deserved more because he had spent his entire career here, whether he thought he was being lowballed, whatever his decision was, he decided to leave an organization that had drafted him, an organization he'd made a cup run with, and an organization that he'd been with his entire career. But something along the lines happened where he was like, either it's loyalty from the organization or just time to move on. Yeah, and and my thing for loyalty is always, it's great to be loyal if you stand to benefit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for sports, because it's such a cutthroat business, because people are willing to move on and, and to maximize performance, seldom you get the... At least now, especially with salary cap eras, you don't really get the legacy deal. Like the Ovechkin one, they have to do that no matter what. Just because you want the record, when he breaks the goals record, you want that in your jersey. But he's also playing at a very high level still. 100%. Um, but generally speaking, it's like we don't have loyalty as much as we used to because it's not – like players have more options. Mm-hmm. It, this isn't back in the day when you're – and even then, like I see a lot of people texting about like Bob York and Gordie Howe and all this sort of stuff. There, there was obviously movement back then, but – Players are more aware of the business side of this. This is no longer trying to just, hey, I've been in this franchise. I'm friends with the owners and all this sort of stuff, and we're happy to to stay here. 
This is about, hey, can we maximize a paycheck? How much more can I get out of my career? Somebody doesn't think I can still play, and these guys still do. Mm-hmm. So loyalty is kind of gone the way of the Dodo bird. And, and, and Messi, I know, I know some people were tweeting us, like, oh, if he was really loved Barcelona, why not play for minimum? And, and just, well, that's not real. Well, you still want to get paid what you're kind of worth. I also heard on the interview on the morning show on 650 the fact that it's against Spanish law to take more than a 50% yeah. pay cut because then you're like circumventing some of the hiring uh, I don't pay thing something like that so he could only basically take a 50% mm-hmm. pay cut because of the, but because of the fact he was getting paid so much that 50% took it only down to 300 million dollars per whatever contract that was <laughs> pretty nice deal pretty nice deal no pretty what. nice deal yeah there's a lot of the text coming in because Hakeem the dream in a Raptors uniform that's yep. from Bobby I don't even remember that one I have to google that one yeah, for sure. Uh, Dave and Richmond saying the reverse weird, uh, seeing pictures of Marcus Naslin in a, in a Penguins jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can go the other way. It is. It's uh, A lot of people also saying Mark Messier in a Canucks I, uniform. That's just wrong, not weird. I, I feel like I have a picture of Hakeem like, with like ice packs on his knees on the bench and just like <laughs> Probably on his, his knees career, and elbows. Like, and ice <laughs> your knees, man. It, it matters. Yeah, keep texting them in. 650-650-960-960. We're going to talk, not Hakeem Olajuwon, but a little basketball continuing now because we all know that Giannis Antetokounmpo won him and the Bucks won the NBA title. I do want to talk to Mirren about this as well. We're going to talk about his career, but is it good for the NBA? The Milwaukee Bucks, small market team, a kid that decided to stay with the team that drafted him, showed loyalty to that city and to that franchise, a word we were just using, and he ended up bringing an NBA title. Is this something that we can expect down the road, or is this just a COVID weird off season? We'll see what Mirren has to say about that. Mirren Fader, staff writer from The Ringer and author of Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, coming up next across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. We're running the gamut on music selections today, Bic. We had a little Our Lady piece to start the show, mm-hmm. a little NSYNC following that up. Bye-bye-bye. Well, you and I were excited to hear that one. And this bye, one bye, is bye. a band called War on Drugs, I think we're told. That's right. Good job, Karen. Uh, you told me that in my ear during the commercial break. I can't take it. <laughs> to make you that. look good. Hey, if anyone listened on Friday, they know that I am not someone that is good at musical trivia. <laughs> I don't want to take any credit. I appreciate you trying to make me look good, but so, okay. I just upped your indie cred by tenfold and you threw it away. So when we form the pub, the six fifty pub trivia team, nope. don't have me on it. You're not going to be on it. Like the sports questions. I'm not good at. There's always like ten percent. I'm not good at the quick. Trying to find the answer immediately. We're not good at French either because none of us got no. home run. Thank you for all French. the text that came in. Did we but see like, what it was? What was oh, it yeah. again? It was. I got to go back. Coup sorry. De again, good Thank radio. You. Yeah. Say it again, Greg. Coup de circuit. There you go. Coup de circuit. With a little French accent, and that is home run if you ever so, listen to TVA. So, like pop culture trivia, you wouldn't be good no, at I'm, it? Or? I'm good at my knowledge in it. I'm not good at asking me in a timed scenario like if we were to do a a sports that's 650 960 um trivia night if you have it like where you have to answer the questions on a piece of paper and then submit them then or they give you some time to come right. up with the answers and then you call them out whatever the case is i'm okay with that but if it's a recollection really quickly top of mind i am not good at all I'm trying to think of like a movie reference all right here we go really gonna put you on the gun under the gun here uh-huh. And if you get it right, this is not going to go well. Like you're me. on the team. You're on the team. Dave Chappelle was in a rom com with Tom Hanks. What movie was it? 
uh, sleepless in Seattle? No. It's, it's you got mail. Oh, well, like, at least I got the- Dave Chappelle's in that? He's his friend in it. Oh, man. It's been so long. It's a deep cut, uh, isn't it? Got that. It's a deep cut. We can that put is. the You've Got Mail on my list. I actually haven't seen You Got Mail. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going to have Karate Kid, Braveheart, Big Lebowski, You've Got Mail. Um, there's a there's a ton of other yeah. ones. I'm just not I'm not good at recollections. Like, if you ask me what my favorite movie is, it's Remember the Titans. You're like, not on the team then. No. All, uh, Greg is off, too, because he didn't know you. Second either. place in Office trivia, though. So if we ever have the Office trivia, like the show... Second place. I, I think I might get the first place team. I don't know. You wow. guys are big office watchers. Well, he he just he just admitted he got second place. I don't want the silver medal. I want gold. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. I've never watched really The Office. Yeah, I, I I've watched it. I I I know the references, but I'm, I'm not a big office. Did, did you hear when I got Seinfelded on air? Did you hear about that? You played it on your show, I think. Did we? We were talking about the fact, like I don't even remember how it, what we were talking about, but the fact that like someone says. You were trying to return the pair of pants that you wore and cut through the subway station, but you fell and got dirty. Yeah. Trying to return them. Apparently, that's a subway ref or a Seinfeld reference. Yeah. Kramer falling it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that now. So I read it on air, and I'm laughing about it. Like, who's wearing their pair of pants to try and return them, and then they fall in some uh, puddle and get them dirty, and then <laughs> returning the very pants. <laughs> that's great. Yes. And then awesome. uh, I watched, uh, or the inbox went on fire with the fact that I just Hilarious. got Seinfelded on air again. I don't watch Seinfeld. It's not in my repertoire. I was a friend fan but even then if you're to ask me and give me references i'm not really good at recollection um someone asked if i've seen gladiator yes i have seen gladiator multiple times uh gonna switch though from movies that i have not seen or seen <laughs> to talking about uh the nba because we saw a month ago a couple months ago now uh that the milwaukee bucks beat the phoenix suns in the nba finals to win the nba title Giannis antetokounmpo finally getting to the top of the mountain and winning that nba championship after he had won a couple of mvps but never gotten past the eastern conference final Beck, i know you and i are big basketball fans i'm pretty excited to have our next guest on Mirren fader joins us staff writer at the ringer and also author of Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP. Mirren, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So your book comes out tomorrow, and we'll give you some time at the end of the show to plug where people can get that. I actually have it on pre-order, but you sent Bick and myself a bit of a preview so we could get a little insight of what your book was about. But I want to go back to when you first decided to undertake this project. What drew you to writing about Giannis Antetokounmpo? Yeah, I spent the day with him, his mom, his brothers at their home and the Bucks facility for a story I wrote uh, for Bleacher Report, where I worked previously. And, you know, I was just struck by the more vulnerable sides of him, the things that motivate him or the things that he cares about. And I felt like at the time we were only talking about his freakish athleticism and his body. And I was just like, there's there's so much more to this guy. I, I really want to know more. And I was curious why we knew so little about his childhood and his life. So I thought a book would just be perfect to kind of connect those dots. So how does the process go in writing a book? Like you make the decision to have Giannis as your topic. And then, so when did this start? And then how long is the process going to when you finally pushed send publish on the final product? Yeah, so you have to get a literary agent and you have to write a book proposal. Um, and so I did that in December 2019 and we shopped it around in early 2020. 
Um, and then I got the deal mid-March 2020, and it was due March 1st, 2021. So it's a pretty quick process for this one. Normally books you get two years to do, but we didn't know where whether Giannis would stay or leave Milwaukee. So we timed it in August 21, 2021, not because we knew they'd win the championship, but because we thought his free agency would be the biggest question of the NBA. So the process was um, shrunk a bit, but I interviewed 221 people and uh, did it during the pandemic. A lot of Zoom calls. That's awesome. Um, okay, so <laughs> we, we were talking earlier, just, you know, he's such a compelling athlete today. And, you know, we saw the, the post games and just the way he speaks. And it's very modern. It's very, you know, focused on what's ahead, not getting bogged down by negativity. But all of that starts from somewhere. It all starts from a childhood and an upbringing. You know, when you were kind of going through this process, what stood out from the, the past that we don't know enough about? Well, people really don't know much about what it was like being undocumented and the racism that he experienced as a black person in a majority white country. I think his story is framed as this feel good fairy tale. But, you know, and certainly there were very, very kind people to him. A lot of white Greeks helped him out and were super um respectful and treated him well but there was also a lot of people that didn't that didn't see him as greek even though he was born there because greece doesn't offer birthright citizenship so he essentially didn't belong anywhere and that was really really hard and i think because people want to frame it as a fairy tale they don't necessarily talk about that side or even know about it um so it was pretty fascinating to learn about those hurdles that he went through early on and and really how difficult it was for him to get papers from the greek government they really only gave it to him at the last second because he had a real shot of going to the NBA. Miriam, how did, as a young Giannis, in these modest times and tough times growing up in Greece, how did he use sports to help him out? Well, it was a refuge in the sense of for two hours a day, he and his brothers could laugh together while walking to the gym or taking buses and crack jokes and make fun and, and be really insulated from the things that were going on outside. I mean, he used to sleep in the gym to avoid going home because going home meant going back to all of the financial issues and evictions and um, hunger and the things that he was dealing with. And his teammates became like his family. I mean, they were so kind to him. They respected him. They loved him. They became his best friends. So, you know, he really used sports as a vehicle to maintain friendships. When you're talking about the, the growth then uh, of, of a person, and, and look, the, the title of the book says Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP and, and now an NBA champion as well. You know, how, how much of that was just buried into an idea of I can do something and I'm going to use all my resources to pull this off? You know, I think what's fascinating about Giannis is that he didn't necessarily have this dream until he was 16, 17 years old. You know, he didn't even really like basketball at first. He hated it. So I think once he was 17 years old and he realized that he had potential and that he actually loved basketball, that's when he was like, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to make it. And the work ethic is always talked about, but I don't think people realize what that means. I mean, this is a person that would spend eight, nine hours a day perfecting his game. He refused to believe that it wouldn't happen for him. And nobody in Greece thought he was the next prospect. I mean, it's a lot of revisionist history. It was very hard to find articles 
articles written about him at the time because he was so undercovered because he wasn't even playing in the top division in his own country. So it is very improbable, the entire thing from just his game and getting scouted to eventually being drafted. You know, none of this was supposed to happen. So I hear that and thinking, uh, you know, here's a, here, a young human being that's that's learning his potential and falls in love with the game because of opportunity. Uh, what other doors were open for him that he, you know, may have walked through that we may not have gotten uh, what we see now? Yeah, one of my favorite interviews was with a man named Willie Villar, and he was the GM of Zaragoza, which is the Spanish club that originally was the first to sign Giannis. And Willie comes to the gym, and he is so enamored by Giannis. He doesn't understand why nobody else in Europe or America seems to know about this kid. And he tells Giannis's agents, I will do anything to sign Giannis. Like, he is going to be great. And it's crazy because he almost did go to Spain, you know, but the, the U.S. scouts came to the gym and, and they basically made it clear to the agents that, yeah, Giannis has a chance to be drafted in America. But Willie it is bittersweet for him because he was really the first to discover Giannis and he put him through a workout and he was just so enamored by the way Giannis dribbled through the cones and he went to Giannis's apartment and they had a quasi deal that when Giannis turns 18, he's going to sign this deal with Spain. So and and I think the other part of that that's fascinating to me is that Willie was also working behind the scenes to try to get Giannis papers. He was going to have to reach out to the Spanish government to try to get citizenship there. So it was really not like the red carpet was laid out and Giannis gets papers and everything is okay. There was a real big question mark like, how is this guy ever going to get a passport and able to leave his country if he doesn't have papers? We're speaking with Mirren Fader, staff writer at The Ringer and author of Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, the book that comes out in hardcover tomorrow. Mirren, how much was he motivated by the fact you said when he fell in love with the game at 17 years old and realized he could be, he was really good at the sport, but how much more of it was motivation to better his life for his younger brothers and his family? You know what, that was really all of the motivation. His journey was never about himself. It was about them. And even when he was 13 years old, he was just this leader figure among his brothers. And he would look at his youngest brother, Alex, and just feel this pain of wanting to help and, and give him his portions of food. And he would watch his dad go two days without eating sometimes. And so everything that Giannis wanted was to deliver them to a better life. And he saw how his mom would sacrifice for him. He saw how she would wash his one pair of socks, even after working 14 hours standing outside at these outdoor markets, just so he could have a fresh pair for basketball practice the next day. So, you know, for him, the dream was so much bigger than I have to make the NBA. It was like, I want all of us to be in a good place financially and be safe and secure. Marin, I read a story about the fact that when he did sign in the NBA and get drafted and sign his first contract, in the first couple of years, like he would only give himself like a hundred and ninety dollars salary off each paycheck, and he'd head back to Western Union, and he'd have to figure out a way to get there, and he'd send all the rest of the money back to his parents. And I think it just speaks to what you just talked about—the fact that like this was not about him; this was about bettering the rest of his family's lives. Exactly. And it's also about the deep hesitance to indulge and to spend money because you spend all of your life doing the opposite. And so it's not like, okay, you instantly become a millionaire and you're able to just spend whatever you want. I mean, he felt really guilty early on. It was really hard for him. And, you know, I was surprised by the number, the the amount that you just referenced, because 
you know, a lot of it, he just didn't spend at all. I mean, I don't even think he spent a dime early on. He, one staffer I talked to came to his apartment to um, take him to the mall or something. And he just saw all these per diem envelopes with money just stacked up. And it was clear Giannis didn't spend any of it. He was waiting for his family to come to America to give to them. So yeah, literally everything he did was for them. Is that part of, of, of his personality or just his upbringing, does it kind of speak to why he stayed in Milwaukee? I know he wanted to finish the job, and he, and he mentioned that in post-game of, of or post-series and, and post-championship of, you know, a sense of duty to accomplish that. But that kind of fundamental, I have a home and I'm loyal to them, how much does that play a role in his decision to, to not explore free agency and end up elsewhere? You know, I think it's part of it. It's it's why I named the last chapter of the book that deals with the things you just outlined home, because I think Giannis's whole life, he was looking for home, whether it's acceptance in Greece, home in Greece, and then home in America, trying to adjust. You know, he the Bucks really saved Giannis, and Giannis really saved the Bucks. It's this dual reciprocal relationship, right? Like the Bucks save Giannis from poverty, and they change his family's lives forever. And he doesn't forget that. And he of course, factored into his decision to stay there. But Giannis also saved the Bucks from obscurity. You know, they were in grave danger of leaving the city of Milwaukee for decades. And, you know, the way he morphed into an MVP player and the way the, the franchise was able to redo its arenas and, and change things and create a multi-million dollar district, that's Giannis. So I think when he makes that decision, it's this mutual beneficial tie that is so much deeper than your average player franchise relationship. It's personal, it's deep, it's emotional. Miran, when they won the NBA championship, uh, got to do it at, at home in Milwaukee, and the first thing Giannis did when the final whistle blew was not go celebrate with his teammates, and there's no disrespect to them on Giannis's part, but he wanted to go find his family in the stands, and he found his girlfriend and his child, and it struck me as he just wants to have the support, he wants to celebrate this with them, because it's not just about him winning an NBA title, it's about them and the family as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when he was a rookie, you know, the family was not necessarily able to get over there at first. Their visas were denied twice. I mean, he went through hell to even get them to America. And then they all moved to America miraculously and live this life there. And then he does the unthinkable and wins the title. I mean, this this is a family that, like, grew up getting evicted constantly. I mean, to understand why he rushed and beelined to them is to know all of the things they went through together. You know, his his journey was never solitary. It was always communal. It was always this bond. It's, again, it's just, it's so unthinkable. I mean, I hate to be annoying and call it improbable because mm-hmm. that's the title, but that, that's another reason why. It's just, can you imagine, like, them winning the title and having his family there to do, to see it? I mean, it's really just great. What makes him so compelling now uh, as an athlete? Because I, I watch all those post game press press conferences, and the, you know that level of positivity, that level of focus, is what impressed me. Uh, what impresses you, and, and what do you think makes him so compelling now? I mean, how does a person dominate the world's best basketball league without a jump shot? Like he defies every convention that we have for the modern day basketball. I mean. 
everybody does it one way, he doesn't have a jump shot. Everybody goes to the big super teams, he stays in a small market. Everybody wants to make a fashion statement and be cool and have sponsors and do all this. Giannis is super low-key. You never really see him in the tunnel being crazy like that. He is just so different from everybody else. And I find his authenticity so compelling. And when I listen to him speak really thoughtfully about ego and humility, and then at the other moment, be a complete goofball and just seem like a normal 26 year old kid. I just think there's multitudes to this person. And he, I think basketball is the least interesting part about him, to be honest. Hey, Marin, where can um, our listeners go to to purchase your book, which comes out tomorrow on hard copy? Yes, anywhere you buy books, whether <laughs> it's at Amazon or Bookshop or your local independent bookstore, please support those. Um, I narrated the audiobook as well, and that also drops tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I, I hope you all love it. I appreciate it. You must be pretty excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, you work on you work on something for so long, you never think it's going to see the light of day. And then it's like, boom, it's here. So, um, yeah, I, I just appreciate the support and I'm eager to see how it all goes. Well, not a problem. Mine is on order. It's supposed to come next week. I'm looking forward to having the hard copy in my hands. But again, thank you so much for giving us some insight on Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's an improbable rise, but he's also a compelling figure at that. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. That's Mirren Fader, staff writer for The Ringer and author of Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. And you and I follow the NBA mm -hmm. quite closely. And I think, I don't want to speak for you, but when he signed that extension and didn't go to free agency, like he signed it the summer before, didn't wait and see what Milwaukee was going to do to help try and bring an NBA title to the city, it struck me as... <laughs> Okay, you're doing this, but it's kind of weird because you're not going to win. You're not going to win an NBA title with Milwaukee, and that was not the case. He ends up, you know, they get Drew Holiday, they get PJ Tucker at the deadline. Chris Middleton takes a step this season, and it was an improbable rise to an NBA title as well. For sure, and okay, you mentioned those three transactions there, and and this is a thing that we sometimes forget in sports is that. A one percent, two percent change, like Drew Holiday from Eric Bledsoe, is it's a three to five percent mm -hmm. change. Couple wins a game but, season, maybe? but it it matters, right? It, it matters in clutch moments. Whereas Bledsoe kind of unraveled at times, but Drew Holiday was was steady, right? Like he, he didn't fall apart. And each of those things, and then you throw in Giannis, a, a bit more comfortable with his surroundings mm -hmm. and and uh, of the players around him and how much he can trust them. It's, it's these little percentage points that can springboard a vision that we don't see of, why are you staying there? Why not maximize your dollars elsewhere? In why LA, Toronto, wherever. <laughs> yeah, wherever. And there's a, a willing to buck convention from Giannis to say, nope, this is my home. This is where I want to do it. I believe in what we're building here. And what message that sends to everyone else around you like th like that sort of stuff matters i imagine chris middleton you want to talk about putting in a bit more work to get fractionally better yana mm -hmm. staying probably helps them compete in the offseason get better in the gym work on your skills all of that adds up from one decision from one guy and you know it speaks to his upbringing and Mirren talked a lot about it and i read the prologue of the book last night a little bit of the first chapter i didn't want to spoil it because i like to have a hard oh, yeah. copy in my hands when i have that book coming but you know they talk about the fact that for the 18th time 
the landlord at the place that they were living at came to their door banging down saying you have to get out now and their parents trying and pleading with these the landlord saying like just give us more time give us more time but there was no He's more be time. An NBA champion just give us more time we'll make it up on the back end <laughs> but to think about the fact that they're Giannis is the oldest and he's gathering up his brothers and then they look at the fridge and they got to figure a way to take this fridge out of I guess it was their fridge you know they bought and paid for and brought into this apartment and they had to figure out a way how to get it to the friend's place that they were going to stay and they put it on a skateboard and take it down the road with everybody looking at them and just probably judging them and you know wondering what's going on but they wanted to keep the fridge because that was their lifeline for any food that they were going to have on the table didn't mean they were always going to have food but they knew how important this fridge was for them to live it's um it's an incredible story again if you want to get the book it's called Giannis the improbable rise of an NBA MVP it comes out tomorrow in hard copy like Mirren said any way that you order your books or buy your books I like that you're we're learning about each other today because mm-hmm. the first time meeting I, I like that you're a, a, a need-the-book type person. Well, I used to... I have a lot of books on my iPad. Right. I will... Don't kid, don't kid yourself. I have a ton of them. But there is something to be said about holding a book in your hand and paperback and changing the page. Yeah. Also, there's something to be said not staring at a device for sure. longer. Like, it's actually nice to read physical paper versus a screen that's like bright and staring back at you so i have changed my ways back to actual book holding again in my 20s i was pro like i want a dvd collection on the on the bookcase or whatever Mm -hmm. and then as i got older uh now i want a book collection and i'm i I, you can't show people your kindle be like oh scroll through all my books (laughs) right you want them in the bookcase and be like wow you've read a lot of books i haven't read them all i just have them all but exactly uh, it's there for a rainy day it's a nice showpiece so again, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP is out tomorrow in bookstores. Calgary, this is where we leave you three hours in the books. It's time for The Big Show with Pat Steinberg and Will Nolt. Have a great afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Vancouver, one uh, final hour with Bick and myself. We're going to talk a little football next, NFL football, the variety. Training camps are well underway. A number of storylines coming out from around the league. We'll head to Denver next on Rintu and Sermon. Bick Nazar in for vacationing. Scott Rintoul. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. One more hour on this Monday afternoon. We switched the clock over to afternoons. Rintoul <laughs> and Sermon. Bick Nazar in for Scott Rintoul. It's very confusing being in two markets sometimes because you're like, is it morning? Is it afternoon? Mm-hmm. We talked to so many people out east. Good morning. Good afternoon. Anyways, now it's officially afternoon everywhere. It's officially afternoon everywhere, almost evening in the east coast. Uh, we're going to talk some NFL football momentarily. A couple minutes, we're going to head down to Denver, speak to Benjamin Albright with uh, KOA Colorado. But, Bick, there's been a couple of... Um, Day in the NHL, it's too. Pay, especially for goaltender. Yeah. Uh, no, Jack Eichel has not been traded. No, <laughs> Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes have not been signed. But there have been some signing to some RFAs. These ones just came in from the Rangers. Yeah, uh, three goalies signed today in total. We'll get to it all in a bit. But Igor Shosturkin has signed a four-year contract uh, with the Rangers. No numbers Il- on that one yet. Yeah, Ilya Samsonov has signed a one-year deal with the Capitals. That's $2 million. And Carter Hart, 
uh, kicked it all off today with a uh, three-year contract at like 3.973 or something like that. So it looks uh, like... Uh, so three guys are, are down. Samsonov in one-year $2 million contract with the Washington Capitals. Yes, so it's uh, a couple of goaltenders getting signed, a couple of RFAs getting signed. Of course, uh, none of these players want to go to arbitration, Bick, because we all know what happens in arbitration. It's not fun. And the, there's a reason why they file all these arbitration cases, yeah. because they want to get the deal done. Put pressure on. It, it's all about creating a deadline. And uh, these guys are uh, getting paid today. Good for them. Good for them. NFL, we saw one preseason game in the books. One or two, I think. I can't. I don't really care about. One. It, one so far. The Hall of Fame game, right? Yeah. The Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Someone... Wait, you didn't want to take sweeping takes off of your Dallas Cowboys off of a, no, a couple not. of snaps? If Cooper Dak... Rush isn't going to lead the team? If Dak Prescott doesn't even... You know, travel <laughs> to the game. And of course, Dak Prescott, he's dealing with some shoulder yeah. issues right now. Not to mention the fact he's coming back from a catastrophic, shall we say, ankle injury. If your foot's going the wrong direction, that's <laughs> probably catastrophic. Hey, sorry, some, just some breaking news. Frank Cervelli is confirming the numbers now for Shesterkin. Uh It's four years, 5.65 million AAV. So that's total of 22.666 million. A rather ominous number, but... Uh, there's the figure. Hey, so middle of August, almost getting there. First nine days of August. Finally getting some NHL news done. Um, there's not going to be a lot of NHL talk over the next week or a couple of weeks. Uh, folks uh, will do a little bit of it, but honestly, nice down. <laughs> everyone's on vacation right now. And I know Ben, um, Jim Benning has a lot of work he still has to do. Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, to name two contracts. But... Um, I don't know about you, Beck. if you have a feeling one way or the other. I think those are probably going to lead a little closer to maybe September training camp. A lot of logistics to get done with these contract negotiations. Like, yeah, I feel like we missed a moment, right? Like the, the, the deadline of free agency was an opportunity. Right afterwards was an opportunity. Now, like now you can play the negotiation of like waiting it out and, and what who can put pressure on who. On who. There was a deadline there to solve this, mm -hmm. and right or wrong, whoever wanted to to hold out, yeah. So I I, I was hoping in my ideal July. We me and C Mac talked about this on Bick and the Boss of my ideal July had one resigning, one of Pedersen and Hughes gets done. Didn't happen, and so now play this out into training camp, which is unfortunate, but. Now we uh, run down the clock. Yeah, we've seen it before. I mean, what was it? Uh, Bo Horvat signed a day before, I think. Yeah, it was September uh, 4th. B before the Young Stars tournament was yeah. supposed to happen up in Penticton. Of course, that's not going this year because of COVID reasons. Um, Brock Besser went a little bit longer. So it's, you know, it's not it's not surprising. It's not the end of the world. It is what it is. Uh, negotiations. It... Their agent did go on Donnie and Dollywall on right after free agency opened, and he did say the fact that, like, look, no offense to the kids and mm -hmm. to the Canucks, but we have bigger priorities right now, and that's signing our free agents on the opening day and getting all that done. He said once that's done, things are going to start to ramp up again. A lot of, there's a lot of minutia to be happening. Sure. And, you know, again, length, term. Well, length and term are the same thing. Length term, uh, dollar figures, how many years of free agency do you want to still have? Do you want to give away RFA? All this kind of stuff that has to be negotiated. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's going to get done. It's just a matter of, is this a talking point when the Canucks drop the puck for training camp? Is it still a talking point? Yeah, and pressure will ramp up. Here's my thing, and I, I imagine a lot of Canucks fans are the same way, is when you're planning out how to build your roster, 
wouldn't you want the financial certainty of your big guys? And look, I get it. They they play their leverage. They don't need to sign on your timeline. They can play this out however they want. But when you see the steps that the Canucks took, you know, Tanner Pearson gets signed way back when, mm-hmm. and you've made financial commitments that kind of make your next contract negotiation with your star players who are the identity of your franchise, it feels like you now have to shoehorn it in. And I get it. Hey, you can go to them and say, hey, this is the cap room we have, and you got to come in under these terms if you want to play NHL hockey. Is that the way you should be treating your star players? Or do you go, hey, we we want you guys to sign now so we have an idea of what we can do in free agency. Don't let the depth dictate your stars. And I feel like that's the way they've gone about this. And... It, it, it always just feels to me that you're overrating what your depth can provide. I do wonder, um, last week, Vic, I know you're on vacation, but Frank Saravelli came out with the, okay, from what he's gathered, the salary cap is going to raise next year mm-hmm. by $1 million. And then a year after that, by $1 million. So 2025, 2026, I believe, is when it's going to take a significant jump. Mm-hmm. And that's by $6 million to $91.5 million. So between now and then, it's... That's it'll be ten year, uh, ten million dollars more in the year twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six. Do agents look at that at all and go, okay, well it's going to jump a little bit more now. How does that change how we're going to negotiate because they're going to have some more room in that year? What kind of situation does that make? I, I mean, I don't know if that does have any impact in it, but speculation is that maybe that could have a little something. And, and like I, I get it for from from. Big name players. Now we see some guys sign eight year deals. Now I, you know, Nugent Hopkins and whatnot, and some other players. I don't necessarily put them Darn in the same. I, I don't necessarily put them in the same conversation nope. of where uh, Pedersen and Hughes are. Now Nurse is also a bit older, so he's in a certain timeline. You're buying a lot of UFA years in that scenario. It does make a lot of sense, and a lot of people have been making this point of get a three year deal, get a four year deal. And reevaluate and see how you can maximize your earning potential mm-hmm. once we have a bit more understanding of what the the economic landscape looks like for the NHL, what sort of recovery they're going to have as far as revenue coming in. The incremental raises are nice, but they're... They're nothing until that final yeah, that it, last it, year. It, that it doesn't years. really matter, $1 million. It, it's, it's, it's so inconsequential of, I mean, of it's, long-term planning. It's nice to have the increase. Sure. It is because it's been a flat cap and we all know the the issues that teams have had and obviously the Vancouver Canucks have had under the cap with some of the contracts that Jim Benning was able to get out um, from under but then brought money back in. So it's kind of a take for that in that point of view. But it's, you know, it, you're right. $1 million is not going to make... A difference in the grand scheme of things when you're trying to sign two players that franchise-wise are going to be the cornerstone of your fr- going forward and the fact that they're going to command some money some significant amount of money um programming note benjamin albright <laughs> is in a meeting right now so we are not going to talk a little nfl football with him but you and i can talk some sure. nfl football okay because this is our uh our first blind date. Who is your NFL team? Are you allowed to say you cheer for a team? I don't know. I, I do. Okay. I hate that rule. It's weird in the NFL that, like, media openly says who they cover. And we don't really have a and, problem with it. And, like, as a fandom. Yeah. Or, sorry, yeah, like, openly cheer for. Right. In hockey, it's like... It's a faux pas. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand well, this thing. I think the non-cheering and the press box is still a thing oh no no of course of course of course but i mean 
so a lot of people like you grew up in Lower Mainland. Mm-hmm. So obviously you grew up a Canucks fan. Yeah. I'm assuming that's correct in yes. our first blind date. Um, so <laughs> you can openly cheer for yeah, you're a Canucks fan. You want I mean, the, I don't anymore just because like it, it. Well, you still want the best for them. Of course, but but what's best for them is also what's best for my career. <laughs> exactly. So sure. you want what's yes. best for them. I'm gonna openly cheer for the Canucks or yeah. sorry for the Oilers. I'm gonna do it. I became an Oilers fan before I got into the sports industry. I've continued that over. People are like, oh well, why didn't you jump on the Canucks when you joined in yeah, here? Yeah. Because they're... Your heart is your heart. You exactly. And I'm going to be honest about it, but I think I can still be critical and have proven that I can be critical. And not, of course. But in a good and bad way, either with the Oilers or with the Canucks or with the Flames. I mean, it's hard not to be negative a lot when you're talking about the Canucks <laughs> the last couple of years just because of what has happened. Or but the still, Flames or the Oilers. The NHL, this text comes in. The No Homers League, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I guess. But for the NFL, it doesn't seem to matter as much. Uh, but and reiterating, Seahawks. Okay. So. Now, as a kid, like when I was really young, mm-hmm. and the TV deals weren't as much, and, and you, didn't, you didn't have access to every game, I was a big Dallas Cowboys fan, just because they were on the TV every yes. single week. Which and then, is why I was a huge Cowboys fan yeah. growing up in the 90s. I jumped on all the 90s bandwagons, and the... So wait, so that means uh, Cowboys, Yankees, no, Lakers? No, Cowboys, Blue Jays. Okay. Bulls. Okay. Checks out. Yeah, early 90s. Is where, like, when I was out 10, 9, 10, that's when I jumped on them all. But it's like, yes, we can cheer for them. I'm a Cowboys fan. You're a Seahawks fan. Let's talk about that. Uh, Basketball Phil on Twitter, at Basketball Phil, did ask me to bring up Romo and the field goal and all that sort of stuff. I'm not bringing it up. Phil is bringing it up. Basketball Phil, I thought we were friends. I know. I thought we were friends. I was going to talk about Luka Doncic to our Basketball (laughs) Phil, but now I'm not going to. Um... Content stripped away. When you look at the Seattle Seahawks, they've got a couple of signings that they have to get. Yeah. One, two key signings. Dwayne Brown is a holdout right now. And I saw a tweet from Warren Sharp when it looks at the <laughs> uh, the need to get him signed for Russell Wilson. Um Basically, any depth that they have at that position is injured, injured, injured. Oh, first round pick when it comes to like the fifth option at uh, left tackle. So getting Dwayne Brown done is key. Also, Jamal Adams, we know how big that is. Again, the expectation is they will get done. It'll just probably linger on into training camp, which does suck for Jamal Adams because Ken Norton Jr. talked about the fact that he came in late last year. And so the playbook was him learning on the fly and he didn't necessarily get to learn the entirety of the thing. Then he had injuries throughout the entire season. But when Jamal Adams was in there, Jamal Adams changed that defense. He was very effective for this team. And Ken Norton Jr. talked about how he wants to use him a bit more in coverage packages this year. Yes, we know his strength is rushing the quarterback, but a healthy Jamal Adams might be able to Drop back in coverage of, say, a tight end, I guess. Who, who you're covering matters in this scenario, right? Yes. There were moments where it's like Jamal Adams against Stephon Diggs and he was completely overmatched. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. As the season went along, you kind of saw why you go and acquire Jamal Adams. It was very clunky and there was a lot of injuries in the back end. And, you know, communication in the secondary is very important. Marquise Blair goes out. A bunch of other guys go out as well. They come back this year. Is there some familiarity that they can hit the ground running now that they have that chemistry? Now he's doing the hold in kind of thing where it's 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 I'm I'm, I'm at the facility I'm not really practicing mm-hmm. it's it's the way Bobby Wagner did it and ultimately this is going to be a deadline spur action thing this is going to be August 31st or late into the 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 preamble into week one that's going to spur action ultimately like and I've said this multiple times before 
you know, well, once we saw the Russell Wilson negotiation go down a couple of times, it's it's act like you've seen a negotiate a contract negotiation before. There was rumors like Russell Wilson's yeah, gonna like, be a free agent. It's like come on, we, we don't lose your head on it. We, we know what this goes and. and Peter King did some great reporting in his Monday morning quarterback today uh, or for football uh, morning in America of, you know, there's some concerns over these two negotiations. We are, we still got three weeks of preseason to go through. That's agents putting that out there. That's, yeah, like we we know the game. This is what what you do. And this is how you force pressure. Yes. And I imagine, especially in a week when you're just about to play. Now, you know, we don't expect Jamal Adams or Dwayne Brown. We'll see what happens with their activity on Sunday yeah. or Saturday when they play. Um, is this a moment where you just try to put pressure of like, hey, my guys aren't going to play because they're not going to get risk getting injured in a deal in a year where they're going to the final year of their deal. So is this week a pressure point? Is it at the end of the month that's a pressure point? But this is what you do in negotiations. You try not to lose your head and you hope everything works out. But these are important things that the Vancouver Canucks need to solve. Or sorry, the Seattle Seahawks need to solve. Both both conversations in both markets, they need to solve. And I look at it too as, I mean, Jamal Adams is key for this defense. If you look at the potential firepower in the NFC East, and maybe not necessarily, you know, it's not a Patrick Mahomes firepower or a Josh Allen firepower, but... Kyler Murray is expected to take a next step with the Arizona Cardinals, and we'll see what Cliff Kingsbury can drop for him this season. Matt Stafford, quarterback whisperer, Sean McVay, mm-hmm. see what he can do in L.A. All in, He's been kind of banged up a little bit. He hurt his thumb um, in training camp. Those thumbs are important. <laughs> he banged it on a helmet, I think, and it's not ideal. But again, what can Matt Stafford do in an offense that's geared towards him, has an offensive line, maybe a running game? I know that Cam Akers is out, but... Um, uh, they're hopefully fill that internally. And then you've got the San Francisco 49ers, which are the wild card in this because you don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They're going to get healthy on defense. All signs point to the fact that, yes, Nick Bosa will be in the lineup week one. All signs point to maybe Jeremy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback week one. Um, it all depends on what Kyle Shanahan seems from Trey Lance. We had Dieter Kurtenbach, who covers the 49ers last week. And he says, like, I said, is like the loving for Trey Lance true? And he's like, I'm the one champion this like he has been incredible in training camp now how does that change when he sees defenses in live games in these preseasons he could look pretty average he could look also phenomenal so we'll Mm -hmm. see what happens there but when you look at this when you look at this division in the nfl you could probably i could probably paint you a path for any one of these teams winning it like that's how close it is I have a harder time making the arizona argument just because you know the other three coaches are Awesome. Like, awesome. And we just don't know enough about Cliff Kingsbury to say, oh, you're ready to win the division. And and to Mm -hmm. be honest, like, these two years have kind of been unimpressive from Kingsbury. Year one, obviously a bit tough because everything's changing so much. And, you know, you're you're a new staff. You're trying to see what works and what doesn't. And the teams obviously need a lot of progress. They're drafting Mm -hmm. first overall, obviously. Um, So, like, he's got to make a monumental step, not just a a step in general as an organization, because you have to improve and then overtake three strong teams, two teams that have been to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Seattle Seahawks routinely win double-digit wins. They've been to two Super Bowls uh, in in the Wilson-Carroll tenure. So that's a big jump. But the other three teams, like, this is the division in the NFL. It's going to be a blast. And as much as I'm a Seahawks fan, I, I, I think I'm picking them to finish second or third in that division i'm probably gonna pick my co-host like this i probably like to pick uh 
San Fran in this. I think if they are healthy on that defense, they get quarterback play, positive quarterback play, and can maybe keep a running back healthy too. Mm-hmm. Although it's shown in the past that it doesn't matter who goes in at running back, they'll yeah. be able to Kyle run. Kyle Shanahan will find his guys. Yeah, they'll figure out how to run the ball. But for me, it's the health of defense for San Fran. Like, if they are all back healthy, I just think that they are going to be difficult to play in game in and game out. The other division that I look at in football as being one of the toughest is the NFC North. Mm-hmm. You've got a Pittsburgh Steelers team with Ben Roethlisberger that's come in and apparently he's dropped some weight and he looks, you know, he used a lot of his offseason to get into shape. It's the final year of his deal. But does he have an offensive line to keep him healthy? He may need that <laughs> to drop that weight to run around because people might be uh, chasing him all game. But you've got Baltimore. What's going to happen there? Lamar Jackson. This was an interesting story. He got covid twice. He mm-hmm. got it during the season last year. He got it again. He just came off the COVID list today. But... You know, what kind of step can they take forward? Uh, They finally got the playoff win off his back in in last season's um, in last season's playoffs. What kind of step forward can they take? Because, again, expectation is that, you know, their defense is always going to be good. But what can he do? Cleveland, Baker Mayfield, you know, what is that offense going to do? You know, Odell Beckham Jr. is back healthy again. Does he is he? a part of that offense moving forward or a key part of that offense moving forward? Or is he kind of an afterthought? Like, I don't know what Odell Beckham Jr. is anymore. I honestly don't. Well, I think the pressure of, like, having a big-name wide receiver. And and quarterbacks are going to do this. They're going to try to pepper the ball in their direction a bit more often. And and as far as the functionality of an offense, that can play on the mind of a QB. And if you're Kevin Stefanski saying, look, the offense runs a certain way. I know you want to keep your guy happy, but – it works this way. Mm-hmm. And then when Odell goes out, their offense was better, which is weird to say. But now that you You're have not forcing that. It. Yeah. And, and now that you have that programming in Baker's head of, oh, this like this is the way the the, the language of our offense is mm-hmm. meant to operate in this direction. And now I can use Odell in better situations where we can maximize his performance, where he can become a bit more efficient rather mm-hmm. than volume. If that happens, that's going to open up a door for Baker Mayfield, who, who traditionally I would look at. Like, you think of his personality. Wants to be friends with everyone. Wants to get everyone inspired. I look at that and I think, this is a guy who wants to get everyone involved in the passing game. Mm-hmm. It's more true to who he is. I'll hit Kareem Hunt. I'll hit David Njoku. I'll hit Jarvis Landry. I'll hit whoever. And just make sure everyone feels involved. Because that's who Baker is as a person. This isn't about lofting up one person as a star. And winning now is the star. And they proved that, that last year. And the question is, is, can Odell Beckham Jr. be part of that offense? Yeah. Is getting the non-touches that he's used to and the balls downfield, does that affect how he <laughs> holds himself? Sure. I think if you're Odell, you watch them have success, right? Like when you were in New York and you're kind of you know, getting to the playoffs and struggling. Middle in around. Yeah. It was because of you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's fair to say, hey, give me the ball because this is our best chance to win. If you're Odell Beckham, and now you watch Cleveland have success without you. You watch them go to the playoffs. You watch them win a game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to say, how can I fit in this rather than making it about me? And at some point in your career, you know, you're coming off a massive injury. You're getting up mm-hmm. there. You know, at some point, maybe ego takes a backseat to I want to win in a um, Especially when you haven't performed. Like his stats have true. gone down. Consistently. Uh, also in that division too, I want to see what Joe Burrow can do. Healthy, hopefully. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't. I'm very concerned. Like that the, offensive the, line. The reports out of camp haven't been great, and I like mentally getting over a knee injury. It, it's, it's tough. Like staying true and staying strong in the pocket, and and not having you know trash around your knees, and and being being worried you're gonna get re hurt. 
Uh, I'm a little worried. And, and same thing with like a Cliff Kingsbury. How much experience does Zach Taylor have at head coach to to navigate these problems and to figure this out and ease the burden on your young, your young star quarterback? Love watching him play, but I'm really concerned. Well, here's hoping that he can stay healthy this season because the NFL is much better when it stars. Mm-hmm. Our healthy one more segment to go. We're going to talk a little hockey once again. Canada has announced its coaching staff for Beijing 2022. However, we're not sure if uh, NHL players are still going to go there. We'll do a little notes and quotes. That's all coming up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Vic Nazar in for Scott Rintoul on Sportsnet 650. I'm disappointed about having to leave Edmonton. I truly admire all the fans and respect everyone over the years. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. Those big ups that Greg was going to get just went out the window if, with that clip. If I can paint a picture for everyone, if if you have access to Google right now and you just like typed in troll face meme and that face of the guy with like the grin, the side grin and like half chuckling, when this when that clip played, we I looked over to Greg Ballack and he like spitting image of that. That was amazing. Did you get the image of my face? Because I'm pretty sure it was. I, I didn't. I didn't want to catch the glare. Stares. Yeah, I, I was scared. I've never received that look from Karen before. She's never in studio, so <laughs> I'm kind of scared even, now. You get it all the time at home, Greg. Usually, the eye roll can't be translated over. Uh, the... I need to pick my spots better when she's out of the studio. I need to troll her. Yes, on this day, 1988. Oh man, Wayne Gretzky. Well done, Greg. Was. Sold. I don't say traded. I say sold. I like it. I respect to it. To the LA Kings for Peter Pocklinton's pocketbook to be padded. Yes, it happened that day that we learned, Vic, that if anyone can get traded, if Wayne Gretzky can, can get traded, anybody can get traded or sold. Uh, it is Rental and Sermon for one more segment. Take you about 20 minutes for now. Then we'll turn it over to normally Bick and the Boss, but it's just the boss following uh, following ourselves because, Bick, you uh, joined our show this morning, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, in. I, I usually do six hours anyways. Uh, I guess they were uh, taking mercy on me in the summer. I'd be like, oh, you know, just four hours is fine. Oh, so you're going to do the show, show after? No. Oh, okay. Oh, four yes. hours of our show. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, I forgot. Math. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring it up. Don't still, still, me. still, still learning. Still learning. Don't make me. Yes. This first date is now. A, it's about uh, desserts being served. <laughs> hey, we made it to dessert though. We're trying that's to figure good. out if there should be some that's coffee good. and some aperitif. Second chance. Not looking so good though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. We haven't been told about a second date, so no, we haven't. We'll find out last minute if that happens. So uh, we'll let uh... <laughs> last second. That sounds like a a you up text. <laughs> yeah, right. Can you work today? <laughs> Scott's not feeling well. Need to you fill up? in. Uh, it is yes, Rintoul and Sermon uh, with Bick Nazar in for Scott Rintoul today. I feel like people are gonna text into the six fifty six fifty inbox now. You up? <laughs> 650-650. Let's see if people <laughs> feel like texting in. Uh, Olympics are over. The closing ceremonies yesterday. I did not watch the closing ceremonies. But did you see Team Canada's, um, shall we call them uniforms that they wore in? No, they were I, the I, jean jackets that looked like they had graffiti on them. Now, oh, right. I, yes. Greg might remember this. When they first came out, and I think it's Hudson Bay's that came out with them. And they said, like, they looked pretty. I was like, this looks like amateurish hour like if you looked at the americans and it was like a nice ralph lauren polo tracksuit that looked 
It looked pretty prime. And I'm looking at these and I'm thinking, like, come on, guys. We can't do any better. I will say this. On the athletes in the Tokyo Stadium with gold medals around Christine St. Clair's neck, it looks fantastic. I was actually okay with it. I'm not going to go buy it. It's not going to be my fashion choice to wear. But I was actually like, it's not that bad when I see it on them in the venue. I feel like most outfits are improved by a gold medal. I just want to jump in and say, I feel like most outfits look better when you're I wearing mean, a gold medal. Just think of Flavor Flav with that big gold yeah. uh, watch or clock on he, him. He didn't make anything look better with that. Come on. Can you imagine with the Viking helmet and not having a, <laughs> gold, a, a clock. gold clock on his neck? The Viking helmet looks stupid. Yeah. yeah, it would look odd. You'd be like, what is that guy doing? Instead, you're like, it's 1222 and Flavor Flav is out. It's, it, it works. And then there's these athletes in jean jackets in uh with gold medals it looks good it, it looked good. good and it was awesome to see it's, them and it's one of those things when jerseys come out and yeah. it's like oh i don't know if i like this well it's like you have to wait till you see it on the ice or on the field it's or away, on the court the, the practicality the bc lions black on black gun medal yeah was awesome actually before it went on the field and then on the field the announcers couldn't see the yeah, the numbers, <laughs> numbers yeah, are yeah. Names, so it's like it screwed them over but for us it was pretty cool to see yeah. black on black um when it comes to the olympics uh they're over now uh there's not a lot of talk to talk about you should mention paralympics yes, still ongoing yes always fantastic thank and, you for the textures that came in earlier and uh, i apologize I, yes i do have to see devin haru on twitter mm -hmm. if you don't follow him he works for cbc he will be there until september 6th when the paralympics wrap up he is been phenomenal with his coverage oh, yeah. of the Olympics. He will be phenomenal once again for the Paralympic Games. And I believe actually CBC is covering them as well. So if you want to go watch some more sports uh, throughout the dog days of summer, you can do that. What does your interest turn to now? What does our listeners' interest turn to now? What do you think? Because I guarantee you in this market, the answer is still going to be hockey. But oh, for, I mean, for sure. But it's like, let's let's expand our sports repertoire, shall we? Because there's well, nothing we're in the to dead talk zone, about. Right? We're, we're just... We had no, a couple of signings today for some goaltenders. Carter Hart gets his extension, and uh, Shosturkin his extension, Samsonov uh, his extension. But for me, it's it's I think it's NFL training camp. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's because of the proliferation of fantasy football. Everyone's into. It. I don't know yeah. if you're in a league. We're gonna have to do a six fifty league. It, it, it's been tough uh, getting these going for uh, the last three years, four years. Uh, there a lot is of no drama. 650? No, there is. There's just constant drama. Like, it, can someone join, or is it is it like a keeper league? Oh no, no, no. we we restart every year. Okay, so you, I could join. You, you'll be in it this year. What's the cost? Just a minimal fee. I, I'm not even sure we ever had cost. Oh, it was just for like bragging rights. Yeah, the the first year was just bragging rights, and it was chaos. Okay, and people were trying to cheat and stuff like this. Uh, and then yeah, we add an entry fee. It's not. Okay, well, here's the thing. I did uh, played fantasy football mm -hmm. for a long time, but I found myself being very. I started cheering against the Cowboys because, or being conflicted because it's like you sure. want them to win, but I'm playing against you know Zeke Elliott in mm -hmm. my fantasy draft. But I have, um, I don't know, Mari Cooper. So it's like, okay, I need Dak to do this. I need Dak to do that. And it's like it was just too complicated, and it just frustrated me. I'm like, I'm not even cheering for my team anymore but i it will ruins your fantasy it, experience it ruins your fandom for your team just sure. in general but i do say now that i'm doing this show and i'm back in the hosting chair and i haven't been in that chair for a few years prior to this 
it does help with your knowledge of what's going on in the league. Yeah, so totally. I'm thinking to myself, it might be beneficial to get back into it just because then I don't ha- just have to read articles all the time. Like I'm kind of following it because based on what the players are doing, players transactions and on the field. So I'm kind of thinking I might get back into it again. Plus also during the pandemic, I've enjoyed gambling. So there's that. So my, my own uh, priority of morals when it comes to uh, football is my own personal fandom comes first. My betting comes second, and fantasy comes third. Everything, and like I, I've sat down and thought about this. It's mm-hmm. important to me to to have my emotions go in a certain way. Everything's got to get filtered through that lens. It's how is what happened important to the Seahawks? How is what happened important to my bottom line? <laughs> yeah. And what does it mean for my fantasy? Because I can get over the fantasy. Right. Sometimes I can't get over a, a losing pick, and sometimes I can't get over a Seahawks L on a Sunday. I got into um, a pick 'em. Yeah, and it was just straight pick 'em, not against the spread in Sammy J's pool out in Langley. Yeah, I used to be in that one. Great little, uh, great little. Finished pretty good uh, a few years ago. Did you? So the nice thing about that one is, is they give weekly yeah. winners as well. So I like that one because then financially, you know, you can recoup your, you can recoup your losses yeah. over the season if you can win just one week. And so I did get into that. I think I came close to winning one week. I may have finished third and got some of my dollar figures back but nothing uh nothing that was substantial but it's still fun and mm-hmm. it keeps you interested in games when like Jacksonville's playing Cincinnati that kind of stuff later in the season how are you guys not watching baseball the Blue Jays have an awesome team and are playing great baseball that's probably where I will turn my attention back yeah. to the Blue Jays because I was really in all in on the Olympics and watching the Jays play this past weekend and going forward Especially because they'll be starting at seven o'clock out on the West Coast for a couple of a uh, couple of games will be nice, but yeah, I'm I can get on the Blue Jays bandwagon. Uh, I'm gonna try to attempt this from Rager this text because uh, he's making a reference, so I, I, I'm gonna do this here. Training camp, not the game, not the game that players go out and die for. Training camp, practice. We talking about practice? CFL is playing live, exciting, actual games. And you care about who the practice heroes are? There you go. Is that your Alan Iverson? That's my best Training Alan Iverson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a perfect written out text, but you know, hey, that's, that's what Rage is trying to get at. You know what? I like the C- I love the CFL. Um, it was a little emotional for me watching the Lions play the Riders because the last time I the BC Lions played um, a g- actual game, I was on the sidelines, part of the broadcast team, and it's it's very fun. I don't know if you've ever watched Bic, a football game from the actual sidelines, uh, not like professional. So not like high school or anything like that. Yeah, no, I don't think so. The level of intensity down there and sure. the sound. You can hear the sound on the TV. You can hear it from the stands. But once you're like right there mm-hmm. and hear the crashing of the bodies, it's like you get another appreciation for what they're doing on the field. Uh, great to see Mojo and Julio back in the booth. Um, but yeah, the CFL, absolutely. It's just, it's just getting going. That's the thing. And I understand that a, a lot of people in this market do put the NFL over the CFL. It's just, it is what it is. And that's a lot of this Vancouver market. And I think if the Lions can somehow put some wins together to start the season, I hopefully the the people will get back on the CFL train and the BC Lions train, because guess what? You're going to be able to go see them live soon. Mm-hmm. In two weeks time, they're making their home, their home opener. So support them, support local, go see the games, because guess what? You haven't seen anything since March... When were the Canucks' last home game in March something? March 11th. Right? It was the last game that actually fans were in the stands. So get on the CFL bandwagon. Get on the Lions bandwagon. I, it'll be a great summer event. I am just always skeptical of just the the juggernaut that is the NFL. Of how many eyes can you actually pull away? Right? And and, and, and different days that they play on, all that sort of stuff. 
But mm-hmm. what's driving your interest? Is is the BC Lions, you wake up Friday morning and you're like, hey, let's go to a game and you buy tickets. Mm-hmm. Whereas so many people are in fantasy for the NFL. Like it's become a family thing. Like I know family members who just like being involved in a league just because it's something to, to keep in touch with an extended relative. It's like social media. It's it, another precisely. venue. It's it, another venue. It, it, it's, <laughs> and, and for me, for my friends, like, look, we all age. You don't hang out with everyone all of the time. But once a year, it's a dumb reason to get all your friends together. Now, we're, we're doing it by Zoom and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a dumb reason to make sure you keep connections with some people. Maybe with the Sportsnet, if we can do a draft, we can do it all live. So we could all have like a meetup. I don't know. I have to see SAD again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to get a no sat clause on my contract with with CMAC, and it just it hasn't been going well. I haven't seen sat since uh, morning show days. Yeah, probably a few years. Uh, we've seen each other crossing paths. You're not missing much. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the movie Knocked Up. Here's another uh, reference that Karen. Okay, we're not talking about that on it? our first date, but yes, okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking because uh, with Bick talking about getting together with all his buddies once a year, the scene where Paul Rudd, uh, his wife thinks he's cheating on him, but he's just going to his buddy's house to do oh, his yeah. fantasy <laughs> draft, <laughs> and they're all in there together having a great time. I just That's awesome. That's all I could think of when yeah. you were doing your story, Bick. Let's get the notes and quotes, Greg. Who's in the top six? Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Who's in the crease? Really none of your business. And who's in the press box? It's time for Notes and Quotes. Yes, I have seen Knocked Up, but again, all these references are going to go over my head. I think I've seen it once or maybe twice. He keeps doing the dice. I think it's the only movie he's got. You guys, no, just, it's all nothing? over my head. Yeah. This is, this is... It's fine. You're crunching numbers and all that sort of stuff. I'm trying to do math. Making to do math. sure the depth chart's all right. You want to know who's taking the the, the, the third line face-offs in Ottawa. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine to not know every movie quote. That's exactly what my summer has been. A <laughs> uh, couple of things coming down. Notes in quotes. George Springer has been named American League Player of the Week. He is the first Blue Jays player to ever do it in consecutive weeks because, Vic, he was Player of the Week last week. That would mean... Consecutive weeks. Back to back, a little Booker T. Two time, two time AL player of the week. Uh, yeah, some history there uh, from King George. The, the the Toronto Blue Jays put this out. King George. Are we comfortable with that? Calling him King George? I don't. It. There's already a king in baseball, and it's King Felix. It it, it seems very like I don't know. a bit lofty. It's like King George. Maybe if he wins three in a row, we can give him the title of the king. <laughs> He's uh, got Springer Dinger. Hashtag Springer Dinger. I l- That's love kind of... that. That's awesome. There's, there's no way that one could go wrong. It uh, sounds like Stranger Danger, but it's Springer Dinger. Let's not compare the two. But if, if, if you're an opposing fan base, it's like, oh my God, Springer's coming up. It might be a Springer Dinger. Got to be aware of that uh, Stranger Danger. I mean, Springer Dinger. Nothing? This is that was, Come on. This is just you. Come Sorry, on. You tell me Tampa Bay Rays fans aren't shaking in their boots when they play them in a couple of weeks? Uh, Springer Dinger. I would have to say Tampa Bay Rays probably don't fear anybody with the way that they play <laughs> baseball. Right now, a couple of NF, uh, NHL news and notes. We talked about it a little bit earlier on, but the figures were coming in. Uh, Igor Shosturkin, course goaltender for the New York Rangers. He signed a four-year deal, $22.666 million. Average, average annual of 5.65. This comes on the heel of Carter Hart signing his three-year contract, which was worth $3.979 million. I should point out, too, that Frank Saravelli points out on Twitter that the money to Shesterkin is the most money ever handed out in average 
annual value and total dollars to an NHL goaltender on a second contract. So Shesterkin cashing in. Bick, we know Getting that paid. we know that the New York Rangers went that direction versus Henrik Lundqvist a couple of years ago. So Shesterkin's been unreal. He has like been. I, I don't know if he's a best kept secret in the league because you play for the New York Rangers, you get a lot of high profile. But I, I don't think Gray, you can tell me you're the goalie guy. Do, do people appreciate like how crazy good this guy is? Igor Shesterkin? Yes. Uh, no, I don't think he gets enough credit at all. And that deal that he just got kind of shows that he's a little underrated in his own market as yeah. well. Because, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of the top goaltenders in the next decade. And to sign him for a deal like that, I think the, the Rangers did quite well to, to keep him that low. Next question is, Greg, I'm going to give defer to you as well, because Carter Hart signed that three-year deal. He's 22 years old. He was an RFA uh, this summer, so gets that deal done. 27 games last season. He posted a 9-11-5 record, 8-7-7 save percentage, and 3.67 goals against average. That's coming off the year before, where he's 24-13-3, 9-4-1, 2.42 goals against average. Is last year just a last-year thing, Greg? And can Carter Hart, with their revamped defense, get back? Back to the, okay, Carter Hart's going to be a goaltender for Team Canada in the Olympics, or do we have some concerns with Carter Hart going forward? Well, you know, if there was one goalie or one young goaltender prospect going into Philly that I thought could handle the pressure of being a flyer, I thought it was Carter Hart. But I think that's what the case was last year. It was Mm -hmm. just a a team that was probably a little worse defensively than people realized, and a goalie that just couldn't handle the pressure at that age. And it, it shocks me to say that because Carter Hart, through his entire junior career, was just the model of consistency. Unflappable. And, uh, yeah, he was unflappable in the World Juniors. You just saw that mm-hmm. nothing could get to him. There's something about that Philly market. I don't know what it is, but it just weighed on him so much. Maybe just a, a bunch of different voices going to him. I feel like a good off season where he can just reset will be a really good thing for Carter. I also think two young players last year in that environment. I don't know if Carter Hart is a girlfriend. I don't know who he was living with at the time, but mm-hmm. he could have been spending a lot of time alone Sure. as well. And if you're a goaltender in your own mind for that period of time, like we, there's no hanging out with your teammates and, you know, trying to blow off steam or whatever the case may is, forgetting about NHL. Like if you were Carter Hart and you're living alone, you're going to the rink, you're going home, you're probably watching tape or you're stewing over your performance and you let it linger and linger. And maybe this is just a what happened last season because of a combination of all those things. I, I tried to do this. I, I tried to be better about it during the season of when we learned, hey, players were going through certain things and just the challenges that they were facing. As much as we can say, oh, it's hockey, go play hockey. It's it's not entirely like that when your day-to-day is so impacted and it's all different. I've tr- I was trying to be better of it with the Vancouver Canucks and across the league of yeah. let's be real of what we're evaluating here. Like there are challenges about this and – so sweeping that across the league, like there are going to be certain players that I don't want to make conclusions on for the rest of their it's careers. 20, it's 22. Carter Hart's one of these guys. And I, I, as much as you don't want to give a, just a blanket pass to everyone, you kind of just have to look at this and think, okay, what were the circumstances? How is it going to change moving forward? What is next season going to be like? How, what level of normalcy are we going to achieve mm-hmm. for the NHL with, with COVID protocols? And all this, all these sort of things matter. And like I think about this like for, for, for media. like Are we going to be allowed in the room and all this sort of stuff? What level of normalcy are we going to achieve? So until that gets solidified and we kind of know what life is like for mm-hmm. an NHL player, uh, I I, I want to give a lot of guys passes uh, over what happened last year. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, 22 years old as well. Like, yes, he's was incredible in that first season where he took over, and then last year just went downhill. So, uh, 
let's just with what they did in the offseason as well, what Philly did, obviously trying to shore up their defense on the defensive side of things. We'll see what can happen with Philly and Carter Hart. Team Canada announces its coaching staff for Beijing 2022. John Cooper, no surprise, two-time defending Stanley Cup champion will lead Canada's men's Olympic team with Bruce Cassidy, Pete DeBoer, Barry Trotz. We talked about it off the top when we talked about this news. No surprises with any of those coaching staffs. But John Cooper did. We have a quote for notes and quotes. He did have a comment on when this kind of whole decision came down, being asked to be the coach of Team Canada, and he was actually watching the women's soccer game at the time. It's funny that the irony we met as a... um coaching staff and management support staff last Friday. And this meeting was set up, I mean, a week and a half before that. And, and the meeting was Friday and uh, just so coincided with the women's soccer team uh, winning the gold medal. And literally the penalty kick went in and then we had to start our meeting. And it, it brought, like everybody was pumped up on the meeting. That's all we talked about for probably the first 10 minutes uh, before we got into our, our work. And so, it was so exciting to watch the Olympics, to be, you know, on this side of everything. And uh, uh, everybody was pumped. And and to be a part of this, you as a young kid in Canada growing up and 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 watching hockey and, and having your dreams of, you know, whether it's to play in the NHL or to win a Stanley Cup or be a part of the Olympics. You know, I obviously <laughs> didn't get to do that as a player, but to be a part of that as a coach is... Uh, it's so exciting. It's, you know, you can imagine you're talking about the fact you're coming together as a coaching staff and meeting and discussing. You're like, oh, and then Canada wins gold. And they're like, yeah, that motivates us to win gold. And hopefully we can have NHL players that can win gold for us in Beijing. That still has to be confirmed. I do wonder with the fact that the, I know the Paralympics are still on, but with Mm -hmm. the Olympics officially finished now, does the IOC, were they kind of holding off maybe some other negotiations with the NHL until they got through Tokyo and the logistics that were navigating the summer games? Does the winter games now go on to focus or is it the double IHF that they were negotiating with? I don't know the logistics of it all, but... Well, we, we saw some reports today of what might come about for Beijing. And if the, if the protocol is going to get a bit tighter, like we already saw athletes drop out. Uh, of or, or not commit to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. If the protocols change, if they get too tough, are you going to see more athletes for for the Winter Olympics say, you know what? I know it sucks. We all love saying we're Olympians and we all want to compete at the at the highest level, and that's what the Olympics are. Will you see people back out? And and like that's that's a fear I have absolutely. As much as I want to see it, the, the safety of every athlete and safety of every one, every citizen is paramount. Uh, but for to, to to see a showpiece, to see a showcase of talent, uh, I do worry if we're gonna see a a true game. And professional versus amateurism, I think, makes a big difference in this because we know when you can make your money in a league somewhere else, it kind of puts the Olympics on a back burner. Uh, just to put out the note there, National Bank Open after a year off last year. I don't, are you a tennis fan? Who's Massive. That? Okay, good. Massive. So Vashik Pospisil is in action tonight on center court against Tommy Paul, an American. That's in Toronto for the men's draw. Women's draw, Layla Annie Fernandez. She plays today, as does Rebecca Marino. Of course, wild card in this event against Madison Keys, the American, the 16th seed. Rebecca Marino from the Lower Mainland. So we wish her a bunch of success. I think it would be a pretty big upset for her to 
beat Madison Keys, but we're here for upsets. Any day. We're any, here for upsets. Any given Monday. That's what they say. That's the saying. Any, any given Monday in Montreal, anything can happen. Blue Jays off today. They start a four-game set against Anaheim tomorrow with a double header. Uh, Greg, did it go okay? Did we get through it? Will it be your second date? What's the case? Well, yeah, you, I guess you guys are are deciding that, whether there's a second uh, experience Actually, I think um, I, I would love to, but uh, I think it's been decided. I, I, I'm all over the place this uh, this week. Where are you tomorrow? Vic gets around. I'm I'm uh I'm with Sat tomorrow, uh four to seven, uh or three to seven, and then uh, I'm back. You should uh, show up before. Can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> sat. Leave Sat on red, or, or or leave Sat on mute. Yeah, uh, right. And then uh, Wednesday back. Uh, finally on my own show, uh, Vic and the Boss. Perfect. On we're Wednesday. Gonna, we're gonna turn it over to the Boss for Vic Sans and the Boss. Bic. Thank you so much for joining me today and getting up with that early morning alarm. Very much appreciated it. Uh, Even if you played that clip, I'll give you big ups. Greg Ballack (laughs) up in this show. Josh Elliott-Wolf, as always, thank you so much for producing and getting the guest list that we had today. They were wonderful as always. This has been Rintoul and Sermon on Sportsnet 650. We're going to turn it over to Bick and the Boss with the Boss.